ever after true? I'm more of a chaser, really. Were you rushing or were you dragging? Welcome to Chaser After Truth, a Quidditch podcast about truth and life by me, Alejo Enriquez. I've had the pleasure of uh, finally doing some uh, Quidditch practices again with other people, which is great. Um, shout out to the Houston Cosmos. And uh, I had a really great illustration at practice of a concept in karate, which um, is called kime. It comes from the, the word kimeru in Japanese, which is to decide, but really it, it's what it really is, is having a moment where you sort of mentally completely commit. And kime is like part of a larger idea um, in karate of something called zanshin, which is having like a total mind like focus, like a total like uh, sta- a totally stable mind. You're not distracted by anything your your mind is completely and totally not tunnel vision and not distracted kind of ha- having a presence and kime is like sort of like the the moment where you you bring everything together and my uh, my sensei in california sensei keeling would talk a lot about about the kime about having the moment of committing your body to to making a strike because in karate we make these big strikes we make these big stepping through lunging strikes and uh, if you hesitate at the beginning or it does especially in the middle it can be devastating because you're uh, you've telegraphed that you're about to do something and it doesn't deliver um, and so that that's a big part of of karate training and uh, I think one of the reasons I like playing beater in Quidditch is because it's very similar like you like uh Chasers often, once they have good arm strength and so forth, can kind of whip passes to each other fairly quickly without telegraphing it too much. But it's very, very hard to play beater against another, especially against another beater. But even against chasers, uh, unless your body is totally in sync, uh, unless every every part of your body is all cooperating, and you have the same the same thing in happening in in beating as it does in karate, which is kime. And uh, there, there's a lot of applications of kime because also, and I remember explaining this once to, uh, I think I was interviewing with um, someone in Quidditch, Peru. In, it was in Peru and talking about how how do you develop that chaser-beater coordination. And really, the there's a lot of shortcuts. Maybe there's easier and harder ways to do it. But I, I really talked a little bit about how once you practice enough, you know you can see it without looking at it that you know the moment where the beaters are attacking and then the chasers can go and there's an opening created by that diverting the opponent's attention and so forth and so the the specific thing that got me thinking about this was we were doing uh, in the practice that i attended recently we did a drill where the uh there was a one beater on defense and then there would be uh, an empty-handed beater on offense who is like kind of try and steal the ball or, or uh, you know, uh, tackle them or steal it from them or whatever. And we uh, we had another beater who was farther away who you kind of you had to like watch them. You couldn't just lock his when you just do a one-on-one like a beater with a bludger versus a beater without a bludger. It's really not fair because you can just ruin their day like quick. You just beat them in a bunch of different ways and. There's a lot of easy and good ways to do it, but you completely 
take your attention off of your other opponent, the one with the bludger, who is really your real opponent. And so uh, then we did another version of this drill where it was both of them were active, though the beater with who was empty-handed on offense would kind of come up ahead. But the other beater was was in play as well. And I saw some beaters, and, and, and I don't mean to call any. I'm not trying to call anyone out. I think this is normal. I think especially a lot of people haven't played a lot of Quidditch in a while. Uh, people would be like way too far back and not able to capitalize on the beat when it happened. And people would also come up way too close and make a good target for a double beat. Uh, and so like in order to, and, and I know that like when you're first like, okay, well we got scored on, we got the ball back here, beaters, they've got bludger control. Let's get our act together. Let's run up the field together and make something happen. Like that definitely is a thing that puts you in the mind of we're going together, but you really do have to let the empty handed beater get some work in first. Uh, but you can't let them go all the way ahead where you are no longer able to support them. But then also, as a beater with the bludger, you also have to, and, and, and as a ball carrier, excuse me, I should talk about as a quaffle carrier, you have to see the beaters going in, and you have to kind of also be going. You can't be so far away that you're unable to capitalize on the opening they create, but you can't be so close that the defensive beater can ignore the other beater and take you out, and then all of a sudden you have a broken play. So it's tough because like when you see your partner running, you want to run too, but you can't. You have to feel the inch, the energy, the tension of their movement. They're starting their attack. You have to feel that tension rise in your body, but you can't act on it until the right moment. You have to. You can't. You can't let the moment pass you by, but you can't reach for it before it's there. And that's so key, man. That's so much about karate. And incidentally. Um, I know that Shotokan Karate is not like the most popular martial art for um, for for MMA. Uh, you see a lot of MMA people, they do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for their grappling, and then they do Muay Thai or uh, some kind of kickboxing for their their for their stand-up. And, uh, and people, there are people who do Shotokan or have a foundation Shotokan in MMA. And what's known about, what's notable about them is that often they are um, they are remarked on as having very good timing and spacing. And so one of the things that you get from practicing a lot of karate is an awareness. And, and part of it is just because you're thinking about the spacing and the timing so much. If you're a beater and your thought is, I'm going to knock him out with this bludger in my hand, like you are missing so much about what else is going on your spacing your body like what what stance you're in at any moment like when are you switching from a, a walking or running position to a throwing position because your feet are doing totally different things and once you go into a throwing position if the other beater takes a couple sliding steps out of your range how do you, do you get him back into range you have to sort of slide for to follow him but then that doesn't feel natural if, especially if all you're thinking about is the ball in your hand. You cannot just think about the ball in your hand. Um, you've got to like kind of take it all in. And that's I think that's that's one of the fun things to me about beating is feeling that that energy, that tension, feel it rise until it's finally released. But if you get someone to throw before they're really ready, they're gonna miss or it's gonna be too easy to block or catch. 
uh, you know, and and if you wait, get someone to kind of hesitate and wait too long, now you're close enough where you can easily take them out or your partner is already like going to steal the ball from them. So it's such a it's such a headspace situation of how you play that position. And that timing and that spacing really, like, I guess a lot of the advice that, that you see when you talk to sports people, oh, watch a lot of game film, watch a lot of game film. Yeah, absolutely, watch a lot of game film. But every beater kind of has their own, like, rhythm and tempo and strength of their arm and the way their feet work. And you kind of got to even just throw against the wall for a while. Like, full-on, bend your knees, bring the ball up high, like, shuffle in and out of range, like, find your range, find your sweet spot, and throw. Uh, and then practice that against opponents because uh, if you're if you're just relying on, okay, I'm going to run up and I'm going to beat him, like, there's so much more complexity to it. It's so much harder than just throwing the ball because it's not just about the ball. That's why the famous saying, beat with your feet, is so important because you got to close the distance to the right distance, not too close, not too far. Throw right when your partner is making that grab or making that steal or right when they're like like another fun thing to do an eclipse move where you and the opponent are squared off and your partner can kind of come in front of you and as they're moving in front of you like there's like a window especially if you're the smaller beater and they're the larger beater and they move in front of you like there's like a window where you can throw where your opponent can't even see you throwing in that and yet the ball hits them i've pulled that move a couple times it's hilarious i love it so there's so much you can practice to get better at beating and a lot of it has to do with the spacing and the timing so don't just think about the ball don't just think oh i wish i was a stronger arm stronger arm will not help i do not have a strong arm as a beater and i'm limited in that way i'll never be a truly elite player because i won't have ever have checked all the boxes for what makes an elite beater but to just get better at the timing and the spacing is it can pay huge dividends and for your beating game. This is the drill. This of the is week. the drill of the week. Drill of the week. I think the drill of the week should really just be that drill I did because I and we did it because I think it's so good. I think it's a it's a two part drill. The first and you you really want a whole horde of beaters there. It, it, you can do it with just two or three beaters there, but it's better with more because that way you're you're trying you're pitching against different styles. You're pitching against different people and so forth. Um, we have a name for the Victoria. We called it Taking the Hill. You can do different versions of it. The uh, the basic version is where the empty-handed beater goes up to try and make a steal or a tackle on a beater with the bludger. Um, and uh, and really to make this less messy and, and pointless, you really do need to have another... If it's literally just two beaters, just you and another beater, and it's like, well, let's just get better... You can put a cone or a hoop and say, okay, make eye contact with the hoop the whole time while you're while you're doing this. Like, don't lose don't lose track of it, um, and because at the bare minimum that'll keep you ready for the other beater. But it works better with three people at a time, and, and the first part is that other beater just, and that also that position is still like, even though you okay, I'm not going to throw. It's still not a dummy position if you're participating because you can feel the kind of sense of okay, I don't think I can throw from here. But he's still watching me, so I'm going to act like I'm going to throw. Uh, but but then, if there's a moment, I need to scoot into range. I need to, to come up on him some more. Or it's like, oh, shoot, you know, I, I, I'm already in range. I think I'm in this other person's range. I think I need to back up. And so really making the space, making good, full use of the space is really the idea. And then, of course, the, the next level of this drill, obviously, is where all 
three are, are in the game at the same time, two on one. Um, you can just come up both at the same time, but really it's better to start practicing on coming in at different angles, macing out more, making sure you're not a good double beat target, and uh, you know, and making sure that you're out of range at the moment that the that the empty-handed beater is really coming up into that target that hit zone for the other beater. But then as soon as they, their eyes come off of you, uh, or that ball moves out of the way to try and beat the other person or whatever, you can capitalize it. If you're just out of range, practice taking a couple of quick steps into range. If you're already kind of at the edge of range, practice making that throw with good timing so that their eyes are going to be off you at a critical moment. And uh, it's, it's really, it's really, yeah, sure, the strength, the catching, the blocking, those are good. I'm not saying those aren't important. But the timing and the spacing is really what's going to make the make your beating skills go to another level. Are you a seeker? A seeker after truth? I'm more of a chaser, really. And that's the end of the podcast, or at least the end of this episode. I like to keep them low. I sometimes notice once in a while I'll go really on and on, but I, I don't mean to ramble. I, I do want to keep it tight. I know that I did get some feedback that I ramble a lot. Uh, I apologize Although, I guess if I, I'm not apologizing to the listener because anyone who makes it this far doesn't mind the rambling. But uh, uh, I don't know. I just want to try and reach the truth, you know, go to make steps towards the truth. I guess chasing it. I saw a really great quote that I thought about putting in, in the actual podcast somewhere. But uh, the uh, uh, I think it might have been John Green who said, uh, the truth resists simplification or resists simplicity. And that's really true. Um, you know, the, <laughs> ironically, it's, it's a simple statement about the truth. Um, but uh, it is it is the case that, you know, the truth is almost never really simple and you really have to kind of explore to get towards it. And you'll never really get all the way 100% there. Our brains just aren't big enough to contain the entire universe. And we have to make heuristics and shortcuts. And when we do that, we cut things out that are also true and we oversimplify our brains can actually do that and so to de-simplify is an ongoing process that's that's asymptotic we'll never get all the way to the truth but i'm just trying to take steps to get there chasing the truth one step at a time that's the theme of the podcast so thanks for listening i hope you're enjoying this uh, chase of the truth um and uh, uh catch you next weekend i'm alejo enriquez and this is chaser after truth